You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. As always, this is the Coast to Coast podcast. We've never done one of these live, but we're going to do it now because it seems timely. And hey, there there is no off season. that on a shirt somewhere right Cheryl? uh yeah it's on there i have a couple <laughs> uh as always sean moran Cheryl mcmillan are joining me sean how you living man doing doing well uh, all right i i'm gonna we're gonna try this again sean how you living man we're live let's let's uh let, let's let's do a let's do a retake we're gonna cut that and edit it even though we're live uh. <laughs> <laughs> are you able to hear me yeah I mean, you're, you're breaking up a little bit but you're you're there we can we can feel your energy all right. Well, I'm I'm doing good. Uh, happy to be here on on YouTube Live. I guess last time was uh, pre pre Duke. Um, yeah. So excited to to do it again. Yeah, man. It's been a minute since we've talked. I mean, things have happened, right? Like this is this has been quite the uh, quite the to do for not just the Tar Heels, but um, you know, Tar Heel prospects, all kinds of shenanigans around the program. Sherelle, how you feeling, man? You. You went out and bought a house and, you know, cause we, we haven't had enough, we haven't had enough going on. So you were like, Hey, let me, let me throw some more logs on the fire here. How are you feeling? I'm good. You know, this is going to be one of the last four or five podcasts on the patio. So I'm feeling a little nostalgic. All right. So what I'm going to need you to do is uh, I want you to go ahead and get uh, a still shot from your screen right now without you. And that way, um, that way when you're done, we can always have, you know what I mean? We can always have the shot of, of your porch, even it's if you're in porch, see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That can, that can be your, a, your, your filter for zoom or whatever. That's not a bad idea, actually. Uh, just to mess with people, right? Like just, just, <laughs> you know, we could pipe in some bird noise like they do with the masters. Um, you know, it, 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 it would be legit. Uh, what a shout out everybody who's in the YouTube chat right now. We're already up to 50 people, man. This is, this is crazy. We just decided to do this about an hour ago. So uh, I want to give a special thanks to Ben Sherman and Greg Gregory Hall for um, kind of guiding me through this and letting me know how this is going to roll. But we felt like, based on the amount of of activity around the program right now since the games are over, uh, we felt like this might be a good time to try going live. And uh, you know, if if this goes well, maybe we'll get to some of the questions in the chat a little bit later. But uh, if nothing else, I felt like this would be a great time to engage with the listeners of the Coast to Coast podcast in a different way. I'm Joey Powell. You can see it on your screen. For those of you who are listening to this in podcast form, again, bear with us. It's a little different. We're doing a YouTube live tonight, which is a first. So uh, definitely want to make sure we shout out Johnny T-shirt because even though we're doing this in a, you know, kind of a, a different delivery method, it's still Johnny T-shirt. They're still awesome. They're still consistent. So even while we're toying with some new ideas, Johnny T-shirt is still as strong as ever. So uh, shout out to those folks. And, and look, I'm not going to lie. I went to New Orleans. I stopped in Johnny T-shirt before I went. I got a really nice re-up. My buddy that went with, went with, yeah, easy for me to say, that went with me, he dropped like two bills on Johnny T-shirt. Man, my man had like six shirts laid out on the bed to pick which one he was going to wear to the Duke game uh, that Saturday night in New Orleans. But, um, fellas, I've actually, uh, in light of, of all that's going on, 
I want to kind of start with with wrapping up the season. And I think all of our colleagues at Inside Carolina have done a really good job of kind of talking about the games themselves. I wanted to let the dust settle and let us slide in with kind of an overview of the season. And uh, we're going to talk about, obviously, everybody wants to know, you know, everybody who's on YouTube right now and everybody wants to know about what's going on with the roster and who's coming back. We'll get to that. But first things first, I want to, want to kind of talk to you guys. Um, Cheryl, I want to go to you first. Like, if you could just freestyle for me a little bit on how this season compares to other successful Carolina basketball seasons. Uh, I think it's completely different from really any successful Carolina season maybe ever. Um, a lot of people point to Matt Doherty's first year at UNC uh, because he had a great success. He had 18 straight wins. He had a really huge win at Duke, um, but they kind of where this particular team got better towards the end of the season, they kind of limped towards the finish line and ended up losing in the second round of the NCAA tournament. People talk about Coach, Guth Coach Guthridge's first year um, back in 98. Uh, that team made a Final Four, but again, you know, you're talking about you know, arguably two of the most talented players in Carolina history on that particular team. So it, it's a little different. Um, and then you go to Hubert Davis in this season, his first year as a head coach, and it started off, it, it started with a whisper, uh, to quote uh, that song from many years ago in the NCAA tournament, uh, because, you know, we, we, we regurgitated all this several times over. Um, but just the ability to stay positive, his ability to stay positive, I think really... Um, was the story of the season for me personally, because when you have people coming into new roles, you think that eventually um, they'll kind of get beaten down by it and they'll kind of revert to what everybody else does. Uh, we see it in recruiting all the time where there's a kid who you've talked to for a couple of years. He's been a great interview, um, always calls you back and everything. And he starts getting a couple more offers and things start to change as notoriety, you know, in increases. And I thought with coach Davis that, his positivity maybe would leave <laughs> after some of those uh, big losses and maybe would start to, um, he would, you know, just maybe change who he was in order to fit uh, what people thought he should be, but he didn't do that. And I think to me, that's the biggest thing is maybe we really shouldn't um, uh, be too harsh on someone who, who's starting into a new role. We said last year that <clears throat> he wasn't necessarily the best person for the job, but he was the right person for the job. And I think through year one, you kind of see why, because there are certain things when it comes to being the UNC basketball coach, that frankly, other people just can't know. And I know people hate that and it sounds pretentious and it sounds incestual, but it, it just takes for this particular job at this time, it took a Carolina person to truly understand it. And then I think the beauty of it is that once it hit and he started doing well, you saw exactly why that was the case. So um, to me, that was the biggest thing, just watching Hubert Davis's arc over the season in that it seemed like he was a different coach from what he was at the beginning, but really he was the same coach and we were the ones whose minds had been changed. Uh, so that, that, that's my big takeaway, I think. Yeah, man, we were different. I, I love that. I think, that's, I think that's great perspective. And I definitely want to, I'll, I'll speak on behalf of Inside Carolina subscribers, man. I'm sure they probably would not be able to imagine this run with another coach now, considering what we know and what we've seen over the last uh, six weeks. Sean, I want to ask you the same thing. Historically, how do you think this run, uh, you know, or, or this season compares to past successful Carolina seasons? 
I mean, I, you know, I don't think there's really any, any seasons from the Roy Williams tenure and on that, that it compares to um, any, for the most part, final four tournament run was made by a team where you expected uh, them to, you know, get that far to potentially win a championship. Um, I, I think, you know, remarkable is, is probably an apt word to describe the season. Um, you can probably, you know, go back and pick whatever podcast you want. And I think, um, you know, even on this one, we, we kind of agreed, especially coming out of the Miami Wake Week, that UNC was uh, nationally irrelevant um, after really the last, um, you know, two two, three years or two and a half years. And it was looking, once again, they, they fell out of the top 25 early on, had some horrendous losses defensively. They were in the one hundreds uh, in Ken Palm and all of a sudden, you know, they just started stringing together win after win. And it was in the ACC, which, you know, I think showed itself in the tournament that maybe it was a little better at the top than what people thought, but, you know, the wins almost were, were discounted as well. And once again, I think from a tournament perspective, uh, you know, you can, there's always, you know, maybe, you know, 2017, for instance, there was the Arkansas game um, and you can probably kind of pick your different games, but this one, I mean, going into the first game, three and a half point favorites, eight, nine seed was a, was a toss up. And you had three weeks of just exhilarating, <laughs> exhilarating action where, you know, the, the Baylor, you know, Marquette, they played so well. Baylor, they played so well, but then had the, the overtime. UCLA was a terrific game. You know, Duke was another terrific game. And obviously it would have been nice to kind of have everything finalized with, a, with another banner and to kind of cap off with a championship. Uh, but I think everybody will remember the run and remember the growth um, because I think the big thing over the summer was, you know, how much can these guards improve? Uh, can they be like who we thought coming out of high school from an expectation standpoint? Or, you know, are they going to just may maybe improve, uh, you know, a small amount from, from last year? And I think it was really the guard, you know, the improvement of the whole team um, that you saw in different stages. Um, so I think remarkable from a, <laughs> a word association. Um, but um, sorry, um, a few, you know, in terms of comparisons, I, I don't think there really, there really is any, so it's a very unique, uh, unique team. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think some of the comparisons you guys threw out there, uh, some folks in the YouTube chat have mentioned the coach gut 2000 team, which again, the parallels there, they're an eight seed, uh, had talent at positions, but just really kind of got hot at the right time. But, uh, boys, just a quick update. We have 123 folks in the YouTube chat now, which again, it's, it's not the thousands that they've got on on the beat for, but it blows my mind that 123 of you guys are in here hearing us do our thing live for the first time we've done it. So shout out to you guys. Um, keeping the momentum going, guys, I, I want to make sure you know we try to try to hit a couple of these major points for the podcast folks before we start trying to take some questions. But um, Sean, I want to ask you, why does this team feel different than, than UNC teams in the past. Sherelle, I'm deliberately making you wait to answer that. But Sean, why, why does this team feel different than past UNC teams? I mean, is it a talent thing? Is it because they're coming off of COVID? Is it just that the game has evolved? I, why do you think that is? I mean, I, I think just that it was the struggles they went through last year, um, just in terms of how the product on the court 
looked. Um, and then even, you know, throughout the off season into this season and, you know, the, the losses that, you know, kind of came up during the beginning, you know, really throughout the off, you know, the, the non-conference and, and into the conference um, that I think anybody watching felt like they, you know, they were watching people grow up in, in front of them. Um, and even though there was, you know, a lot of, especially early on, once again, and probably the most used word we've done on the podcast was ball movement. Um, and you go back to the, really the first two months, there wasn't that ball movement. All of a sudden, little by little, it starts to, starts to pick up uh, the lineup. You know, I think we always used to make fun of Duke for, for having such a short, a short lineup and not having legs come March. And here UNC is playing basically five people, six, if they really, really need to. And all of a sudden kind of an identity forming from, you know, the, the iron five and, and everything that they were doing. And once again, I think really starting to see a team click uh, that you really did, you know, you, you really didn't think was going to click. It was an unranked team for 90, 98% of the year. And all of a sudden they put it together and, and did it at the proper time. And I think people really enjoyed watching them grow and watching them play so well together, you know, in February and March. Absolutely agree with that, Sherelle. I'm going to ask you the same question. And, and you know, you don't have to stay around the sentimentality of it, but I, I think that's just been a really cool phenomenon. Again, having been in New Orleans and kind of followed this team, I just, I, yeah, maybe it was the, maybe it was the juju in the air of New Orleans, but I, it just felt like this, this fan base specifically, like just talking about people that subscribe and interact with us on Inside Carolina, it feels like this team is just different. These, this group of guys that have just, Folks have gravitated towards them differently than, than in the past. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it's a confluence of uh, a few things that you, Sean, hit on, that you hit on. I think first you take COVID year with, with no fans. Um, that was rough. Um, it's something no one's really ever experienced in, in our lifetimes and un, are unlikely to, I would think, moving forward. Um, so you have that. No fans in the building, no connection, no uh, I guess that, that year was no late night with Roy, no exhibition games, no fun, no joy. Just go out and play basketball because we need to fill these games for ESPN. Everybody needs to make their money. So just go play these games. That's, that's kind of there. Then um, you have all the movement with the transfer portal last year where, you know, someone who people thought was going to be the face of the Carolina program for a few years, like Walker Kessler leaves. So I think for the people who stayed because, um, you know, a year ago, <laughs> it, it was a lot different a year ago. And so I think because there was that threat of them leaving and then they stayed, that, in, in, you know, endeared them to, to the fan base a good deal. I think um, name, image, and likeness does the same thing because for the first time, fans feel like they have some ownership or control over the decisions of, um, you know, the players because they're like, hey, if I buy this T-shirt for $20, maybe – Brady Manick or Caleb Love gets $6 of it. And if yeah. we, you know, you know, extrapolate that and multiply it, then we can have an impact on those guys staying at the school I like. So there's, there's that. And then um, I don't think, I don't think this team would have been loved or, or uh, one for the memories until that faithful day in March at Cameron, <laughs> that changed. I mean, that changed everything because it, at that point, you know, let's be honest, that was 
national championship at that it was, point. It was all a dream. Like, <laughs> if they can just, it was all a dream. It was like, there's no way they're going to go in there and do that and spoil it. And then they did it. And it's like, wow, amazing. What a great season for UNC. <laughs> great. You know, let's go to the tournament, you know, losing second round, whatever. They beat Duke at Duke. Everybody was ecstatic. So they had that. But then the last, you know, I, I would I would say like the last six weeks of the, of the season, Hubert Davis talked about energy, effort, and toughness and how he didn't want to coach it. And like I said before, they took it from something they didn't have and made it their identity in the course of six weeks. And I think that's a big thing because what had been missing for a couple of years was guys diving on the floor and emotion and guys leaving it on the court. And, you know, Armando Baycott in the last minute of the national championship game, hopping down the court on one leg, just trying desperately to finish that, that kind of thing, you know, makes the fan base happy. So you add all that together and then a first-year head coach with a new system playing a different way that, you know, most people um, hadn't seen before. You know, for someone who's 21, all they knew of Carolina basketball was Roy Williams. So completely different uh, style, even though there were similarities. So you get all that, mix it together, and then they go out, make the Final Four, and beat Duke the first time <laughs> Carolina's played Duke in the NCAA tournament. So I think it was all that stuff mixed together. Um, and, and it just created a, a connection unlike one I've, I've seen from a team. I mean, people love the national championship teams and people have love for like the 05 team for restoring balance and all that. But I've never seen the kind of connection between these guys. And that's the other thing. It's really I mean, it, it's it's the whole team, but it's really those five. And I think yeah. it's almost like the love didn't get spread <laughs> over the course of like 10 guys and it's all concentrated on five guys so i think it's all that that's a long-winded way of saying it, it's everything that's happened in the last two years mixed together then you sprinkle on a, a win at cameron and then you retire coach k and that gives you what you have that's a strong deep dive man i i, I heard some folks at the spring game this past week and kind of had a conversation with, with some people too i uh, shout out to everybody who's going to have a kid or a dog named Brady or Manic in the next nine months. But I mean, uh, I think that this team specifically, uh, that Iron Five that you mentioned, these guys are going to be revered probably just as as much as some of the title teams will. And I love that you guys couch things that way. Cheryl, I want to stay here. Um, going to kind of jump around on my on my prep sheet for a little bit. Uh, why do you think Hubert's four out and one? Actually, let me go to Sean first because this is a, this is a, a ball analysis question. And I can see him salivating a little bit. Sean, why did Hubert's four out one in system serve this team so well? I mean, I think, you know, last year the parts just didn't fit. You had four, four players playing the same position and even Roy Williams said on an interview, you know, none of them could shoot outside of six feet for the most part. Um, so I think going four out one in um, kind of came more into the modern, modern basketball, which, which you're seeing in high school, AAU, NBA, et cetera. Um, and once again, you, you had pieces that, that fit with the Brady Manic uh, acquisition and the transfer portal, you know, you could not have asked for a better, uh, stretch. Um, I think, you know, there are obviously concerns defensively, uh, that were shown at times throughout the season of, you know, does he have the foot speed to, to play with a four and does that really, you know, help when, you know, say like, a you know, Duke's going to put a, a, basically a small forward at the four, but, I think his shooting, um, he had, I think, one, what, 98 threes, which I'll have to go to Sherelle in terms of when somebody last hit that <laughs> um, that, that amount of, of threes. But, um, you know, and it also allowed RJ and, and Caleb, 
once again, I think even if they've been playing in Roy Williams' system, I think we still would have seen that jump. But now you ha- now you have them um, being able to kind of operate a little more a little more freely um, and and kind of attack those lanes, which. Once again, um, you know, I think that's still an improvement point for both of them if they were to come back. Um, but I think we saw RJ get so much better at finishing around the rim uh, just with that space. Um, and same with Caleb in the, the tournament for the most part. But, you know, then you had Armando Baycott, one of the top one, or I guess one of the top players in the ACC who has a little more freedom to operate in the post. Um, so we lost lost some offensive rebounding, but I think it just it just opened up the court and and did a lot uh, for this particular team uh, where it fit you know the pieces fit what Hubert was trying to do from offensive perspective. Cheryl, is there anything you want to add there, just specifically why you know this four out one in system, though it had its slow start uh, and it had kind of some some hiccups to begin with. Any reason why you feel like this this worked so well down the stretch? No, I think Sean nailed it. I mean, just the, <laughs> that's why I asked him first. Good, let's move on. Yeah, the the, the combination, <laughs> the combination of Armando and and Brady Manic. I mean, that is, you know, that is the perfect, you know, five four in this type of system because, um, not to, again, not to regurgitate stuff we said for the last year, but Manic being able to pull out and go to the corner and be an automatic shooter just gives Armando so much space to operate where before he couldn't turn and face and use kind of his ball handling skills and, and spins and everything. It had to kind of be back to the basket because there was another big on the, on the other side of the block. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, I, I, Sean said it best. I, I think just because of how well Manic and, and Baycott complimented each other, I think that was a, a huge key for why it worked so well. And Sean, 98 threes is the second most in UNC single season, season history. Justin Jackson has the most with 105. Whew, man, that's uh, and and I'll, the other thing I know, Brady shot forty uh, percent for the year from behind the arc, which is and is a, absurd. You remember he started off; it, it was he was not shooting well for a lot of the season, and then sometime in February, the guy just went <laughs> off and just stayed going off for two months. He he absolutely left this planet and remained in orbit for the remainder of the season. Um, I'm also a big fan of the bang bang, <laughs> Mister Falcon that he. Uh, that he spouted just because I, I love the swag that comes from that. I mean, I, I don't even know if kids are still saying that nowadays, but just the the amount of um, onions that, that that guy seemed to show in very, very clutch spots. Um, fellas, I want to stay here. Uh, Sherelle, which player do you think had the most intriguing – wait a minute, pause. Shout out to the, uh, what, 200 of you that are already in the in the YouTube chat right now. Big ups to you guys. Uh, a lot of questions in the YouTube chat. We'll try to get to some of those a little bit later. Um, hey, you're asking about NIL. If you have NIL curiosity, you go to Johnny T-shirt and buy some of the shirts there that are designed to get some of the players some NIL money, which might, you know, might influence whether or not they stay. I don't know. I'm not saying nothing. I'm just saying the kids get money if you buy some of those NIL-based, uh, some of those NIL-based shirts. All right, Sherelle, what I was going to ask you. Um, how many or, or who do you think had the best uh, season trajectory or season arc? And that could be based on, you know, development. That could be based on how they were playing within the team. That could be based on, you know, game improvement. However you want to take that. Who do you think uh, had the most intriguing arc over the course of the season? Um, trying not to go. 
I mean, it's an obvious answer, but for me, it's, it's Armando Baycott. He went from being a really good big at the beginning of the season who we figure would be on an all ACC team to being the best big in the conference, arguably the best big in the country and one of the best, uh, you know, tournament runs in, in NCAA history and North Carolina history. So he just, he was already high <laughs> on that trajectory and it just, it just kept going further. He was like, so when is this going to stop? And then he has, you know, uh, was it 15 and 16, you know, uh, 15.16 rebound game in the national championship game on one leg, basically one ankle. Um, so I, for me, it's him just because he had the, he had the one, well, maybe two bad games. He had like the game against um, Purdue, who has a lot of size that he struggled in. And then I think he had a game in Boston College when he, he had some kind of finger thing going on where he was like three of 10 from the field or something like that. But yeah. for the most part, man, and he was just dominant day, you know, game in and game out. And then he peaked at the right time, which was in the NCAA tournament. That's always been one of the beautiful things about college basketball. And, and Dean Smith and Roy Williams are really good at it too, is getting those guys to gel and get the best out of them at the time they were needed the most. And when you mentioned Baycott, I don't know of, I mean, six double doubles. He's the first player to ever get six double doubles in an NCAA tournament. Ever. Um, in ever. the history of the NCAA in the history of ever. Like that, that is not a small thing considering you know, for the, at least the last 35 years, there's been 64 teams. Think of the names. That, yeah, you assume that every team has 13 or 14 players. So you just start doing math, and he's the only one. I mean, that is that is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of dominant big men that have played on national championship teams, which, of course, the six games predicates that you've either played the play-in game or you've gone six rounds to the title. And for him to be that guy – alone atop the mountain speaks volumes to what you're saying about him having the, the most intriguing arc. Sean, same question, man. How do you feel? I mean, it's, uh, you can really pick any of the five, any of the five players. Um, I think Sherelle hit it perfectly with Armando. Um, I mean, you know, I think R RJ improved tremendously, but I'll go with uh, a guy who I was often critical of in that, in uh, leaky black, because I think when, he, you know, when, he started, you know, actually, I was just looking on Kempom. So he actually finished with the highest offensive rating uh, of anybody on the team. Obviously, lower lower usage. But I think uh, it was that Wake Forest game where we were kind of clowning on him for having a 10 rating or whatever. It was something unfathomable um, in terms of just not doing anything on the court. And then that next game, the Virginia Tech home game, uh, where he came out and, and hit a three early on. And it, it seemed like his whole everything just changed. I mean, even attacking the basket, he had missed some very easy looks early in the year. And all of a sudden, you know, now he's jumping off one foot and, and finally, you know, throwing it down or finishing with contact defensively. He's, he's, you know, he's stepping up and for the most part, locking down some of the top guys. Um, and I think just seeing his improvement, um, you know, he finished 17 threes on the year. Now, obviously we saw in the tournament, there were still teams that didn't respect him and, and played off of him. Um, but I think compared to what was last year going into this year of, you know, will he even get any playing time, uh, you know, under, under Hebert, um, and just kind of what he was doing early on in the season. And then really with that Virginia tech game of just turning into a completely different player on, on both sides of the ball. Um, and once again, kind of, you have four guys that can really score the ball and you didn't need another guy that, you know, needs 15 shots, but he was able to pick his battles um and he was able to contribute um which 
which w- was a, a big piece in terms of UNC getting so far. I love that you said that. I'm actually going to uh, put my neck out on the guillotine with you, Sean, because, I mean, I, I remember saying on this show that there were times earlier in the season where Leakey wasn't even the best defender on the team. And I, I don't know if that's where he kind of started, whether something happened for him. Um, but at some point during the year, like you said, something clicked. And I know down the, down the stretch here, uh, he was an absolute blanket. And I think we saw what the rest of the team was able to do when Leaky Black is locking down the other team's best player and making it hard for him to do anything. The rest of the guys just they, they follow, but they also have more freedom to to kind of gamble and, and be aggressive. And it's just it's insane what he was able to do for this squad. Um, not really playing outside of himself, but playing at his best within the team. That's something that Roy used to always talk about. Uh, again, shout out to over the 200 plus of you guys in the YouTube chat right now. Um, I, I think it's absolutely nuts that you're here and I'm thankful for it. And maybe, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try to do more of these live, but um, okay. Next question is, and, and we've had some folks ask us in the chat. So I'm going to try to massage what I was going to ask you guys into what some folks are asking as well. Where does the program go now? And, and Sherelle, I think one of the big things is, you know, uh, Ben posted last night on the premium message boards. We don't want to give away the farm there, but I do think there's some kind of some some understanding or at least some sources that are kind of leading uh, leading the IC staff to think some things. Where does this program go now, and how does such a run in the postseason potentially affect what the roster looks like next year? Cheryl, I'll come to you first. Uh, I think NIL is the elephant in the room that has kind of changed things because – I think in the past there have been players who maybe had a great run in the tournament and for whatever reason either wanted to capitalize on it, um, you know, test the NBA waters and, and all that good stuff. I mean, I can think of a couple who didn't. Donald Williams didn't. Um, he probably should have, but he didn't. He stayed for another year. Um, but, <clears throat> excuse me, for these UNC guys, um, especially the ones who maybe uh, don't have that first-round grade, uh, consensus first-round grade, you start doing math um, and, and I'm not saying money is the only thing, but it's very important to all of us. Uh, so you start doing the math and say, well, can I make more in NIL, you know, at UNC um, or can I make more in the G league or on a two-way contract? And then from there you have to say, well, okay, do I want to you know, play games in Des Moines and you know, <laughs> Lubbock and no, sl- no slander to uh, Des Moines and Lubbock, just saying. <laughs> Yeah, no, no slander in Albuquerque. Do I want to play there, you know, on Friday and then fly somewhere else on a Saturday for a hundred thousand dollars when, you know, if I stay at my university, we don't even have to talk about Carolina specifically here. When I stay at my blue blood university, I'm on a private plane and I'm the big man on campus and, you know, I'm getting, you know, all this stuff that comes with being an athlete and I have the ability to capitalize on my name, image, and likeness. Uh, so I think that has changed the conversation about um, some of the guys who maybe, like I said, don't have a first round grade, they have to consider that now. And I think they are. And I think for North Carolina, you talked about what does the run do for it? Well, you know, millions and millions and millions of people saw Caleb make that shot over Mark Williams. Millions and millions and millions of people saw millions. Armando Baycott, <laughs> Baycott, you know, you know kind of not quite dominate, but, you know, tough it out in the national championship game on one leg and almost lead this team to a victory. Um, millions and 
millions of people saw them go into Cameron and ruin Coach K's final home game. And with that kind of visibility and exposure comes in IL deals. That's the way it's supposed to work is that when you do that, um, people are like, oh, well, maybe I can get so-and-so to endorse my product because so many people know them. That's mm-hmm. how this is supposed to function as opposed to kind of preloading uh, deals into the system and just, <laughs> you know, spitting it out for people. Uh, so I think that's, that's huge for North Carolina that, and that's the biggest thing for next year that this run has done is it's kind of opened those guys' eyes, the, the guys who have decisions to make about, um, the profitability that they can have at North Carolina, as well as the chance to, again, chase a, a championship. Um, so that's the immediate thing. I think moving forward, uh, what it does, and we've already seen it, we'll talk about, um, this past weekend at uh, AU tournament that we went to in Orlando, but, you can already see kind of like, ooh, North Carolina, they went to the championship game and they're kind of fresh and Hubert Davis and, you know, his staff had a little bit of, they had a little bit of swag when they walked into the building and people kind of looked at him like, ooh, this Hubert Davis, this Hubert Davis. <laughs> um, so they, 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 there was a little bit of that going on. Um, so that's a positive. And then you start talking about the 25 and 26 classes when, you know, fans are made in runs like that. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't show up for a few years. Like you talk to Justin Jackson, those guys became fans of UNC during the Tyler Hansborough, Ty Lawson years. So that kind of exposure over the course of a couple of years can impact recruiting, um, especially for a place like North Carolina, you know, three, four, five years down the road. Cause they'll say, Oh man, I was a kid when Caleb Love hit that shot. And I always wanted to play for Carolina since then, you know, in 2026 or 27, we'll probably hear that. So there's a, a long-term gain to it, but there's also a short-term game gain. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! That's insane. Uh, when you were just telling and talking about, you know, kids thinking that I saw that Caleb Love shot. Um, I think we all knew when we saw that photograph, and I, I still haven't seen who took the picture, but it's everywhere. Um, whoever took that photo, amazing work uh and i think we all know now you know just like we called mj's first one the shot i don't know what we're going to call this one but you know the shot 2022 you you know what you're talking about you know exactly okay. which one we're talking about so i'll script i have to know you know caleb has the ball carolina's up one yeah you're in the superdome you're <laughs> you're what 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 happens are you you're near the superdome what happens when you see that shot go in? um it was one of those things where when he's he's bringing the ball up in the corner and it, you knew what's happening. Like the announcers, and I can't remember if it was Grant Hill or if it was Raf, but one of those guys said, you know, North Carolina is going to get a wait for one rather than trying to go for two for one here. And, and he, he holds the ball in the corner or whatever, and you start watching like, okay, you know this is going to be for Caleb. But if you watch, you know, well, I mean, we've all seen Caleb Love play. Yeah, you know, you, yeah, you, you yeah, know who's yeah. taking that shot. Yeah. Everybody in the – Caleb may be the last one to know he's taking that shot. Um, so, you know, they had, uh, I can't remember, I think Williams was on leaky black, but leaky Mm -hmm. was the one that would, that had the screen for him. 
And I still, to this day, have no idea how Caleb had room to get that shot off over Mark Williams's 23-foot wingspan. But he did. And if you look at the shot from the bench side, where you still see, like, Mark, I, I still physically, it boggles the mind to understand how Mark Williams's hand didn't touch that ball. But all that to say, um, the timing of it was was really good by Caleb. You can tell it's something that he's he's repped a lot. Um, you know, he got just enough room from that leaky screen to to get his shot off. And, you know, he did exactly what Carolina fans have loved and hated him for this season. So it was really, you know, it, it, it was a perfectly timed crescendo to what he's done all season for this team. And, you know, and, and again, the Tar Heels aren't in that position without him, and they definitely don't win the game without him, uh, even if you yeah. take that shot away. What, what about you, Sean? I'm curious. I'm just curious. Uh, like what? What was my reaction? Yeah, what was going? Through, what was going through your mind in that entire position? Um, <laughs> probably a lot of a lot of nervous curse words early on, and then <laughs> uh, sitting on the sitting on the couch, and you know, as he go as he starts going to the left, you know, I start thinking back to UCLA, and as he starts his motion, you know, I start getting up and uh, you know, putting my hands up and in, in my head, being like, "Can he do it again? Can he do it again?" And then you know. The major celebration because you go up four, which you know obviously Duke comes down and, and scores again. But I mean, going up four versus even three is huge, knowing you know how some of those leads have disappeared against Duke. Um, yeah. And then obviously you had to hit those free throws. But it, you know, once again, it kind of goes back to the emotion of this whole tournament from the the Baylor game of basically trying to talk myself into you know. How are we going to get on the next C to C and and talk about this collapse to the UCLA game being down for the majority of the half and not getting over it and then he did it again so it was it was it was me kind of slowly slowly rising before a a celebration yeah I I was watching with my wife and uh, she she doesn't watch as much as me but she just gets nervous and I was like this is going to be a Caleb shot I said the only question is is if it goes in. I said, because we, this is what he's made for. This yeah. is what he always wanted to do. This is what he Davis trusted him to do. He's the closer. And I was like, so the only question is, does it go in or does it not? And well, I mean, what is it, Caleb? What is it, Caleb said? And he said it in the UCLA game. I'm him. Like that's mm -hmm. this. He's that guy. This is he is him. He's the guy that's that's built and is in his mind has repped that shot. Guys, I want to um, I want to kind of get to the EYBL stuff from this weekend. Uh, before we jump back on, uh, before we jump back into kind of uh, some postseason questions that we've gotten from from fans, but w when we're comparing and looking at holes for the roster next year, hold that thought. We'll talk about potential transfers and gaps and roster makeup in just a second. Cheryl, I want you to talk a little bit. You did a phenomenal write up. Uh, you and Travis and Eric and all the guys who who covered stuff this past weekend. Um, I would love to see. Uh, what you guys thought about you know, specific targets this weekend. Uh, everybody wants to ask about GG. You did a great write-up, so I will direct all the listeners there. I'm not going to play the reggaeton air horns here. But um, <laughs> you saw Mattis Bazalis. You saw some guys in the 24 class in Jaron Stevenson, um, Drake Powell, and Cam Scott. Just can you share with us any of the highlights of those guys and then again, I want to direct everybody, go read the premium message board and you can read the entire rundown from the weekend in Orlando uh, from the live period beginning this past weekend. But Sherelle, anybody, any of those guys want to jump out at you? And if you want to tease the, um, the Zayden high stuff, feel free. Well, I'll start with Gigi because that's, I mean, whoever wants to know about, but I think for, for us coming into the weekend, we, we'd seen him a lot with his high school team. 
We saw him a lot last year with CP3. We wanted to see how things would be different now that he is kind of the guy. Because last year for CP3, he wasn't the guy. Um, Dillingham was was the highest rated. And, um, you know, uh, Aiden Holloway was on there too. Jalen Curry was on there too. So it's still a very guard-oriented team. Um, and they run the offense through Dillingham and through Holloway. Um, so it was we were curious to see how Gigi would handle it because now he has expectations on him that he has to live up to as one of the top players in the class. And I think he acquitted himself well. The first game on the first night, he only had six shots, which kind of everybody we talked to was, was like, man, how does Gigi Jackson only have six shots? And again, it's because the offense for that particular team is run through the guards because when, when they're on, they can be very, very dynamic. Um, but then Saturday uh, really started to see him, the potential that he has as a prospect come through. I think we watched a couple of games. We watched actually three and a half of his games and had to leave for the airport. Um, the thing that impressed me the most, I think, is just his fluidity. Um, the guy is, he's six, nine and a half. Um, shouts to his mom who wants to be clear that he's six, nine and a half, <laughs> not six, nine, not six, ten. Yeah, mama. Um, yeah. And he can, he runs the floor so easily. He kind of glides. Uh, everything just comes to him very naturally. And then he's um, really worked on some of the ball handling stuff. He's, he's not there yet where he needs to be, where he wants to be, to be, you know, a, a top five type, you know, pick in the NBA draft. Um, but he's still got another year before he even graduates high school. And you just start to chart a course for him and you see where he's at now. You see where he was last May. And it's just like, man, where is this kid going to be? you know, next May mm-hmm. when he's getting ready to go to whatever school he's going to go to. Um, so I think that was a big thing is just seeing how much more room for growth he has, even though he's already a really good player. Um, <clears throat> the ball handling, like I said, needs to improve. Uh, he didn't shoot outside much, but man, the kid, when he wants to get his nose dirty, he can really rebound. And that was one of the areas of concern I had um, for him after watching his high school team a bit. But I think it's just, again, those different roles in that in his high school team, he is the facilitator. He's kind of the guy everything runs through. Whereas with uh, CB3, he's more of a rim runner, mm-hmm. defender, energy, dunker, finisher type guy. So it was a good showing from him, I think. Um, and then the other one, I, I guess I'll highlight, uh, we watched Jaron Stevenson, who is a 2024 forward um, with a UNC offer. He's from Pittsburgh. Um, he's listed at six and eight, six, nine, somewhere in between there. And, and I think uh, Ben Sharp and growing. Ben Sherman actually has seen him more than anyone. And I think one of the questions on him was just, you know, how hard is he going to play? Because the, the natural talent, you know, is obvious. You can see it, the skill, same, very similar to Gigi, the fluidity. You see all that. But then this weekend, I was just so impressed with how hard he played. Um, and he played mostly in the paint, which is uh, a, a big deal for some of these guys. Because in their mind, if you're 6'9 and you're an NBA player, you're a three you're a perimeter guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they just forget times they can forget that, Hey, I'm six, nine, I can still score over people, you know, <laughs> in, in high school basketball, I'm a lot taller. Uh, so he was doing that consistently. And he just, he has the look of just a, a pro, you know, a top 10 type guy. It's hard to explain. Um, he always had the look, but the production wasn't in there. And now it seems like the production and the motor are starting to match. So, those two uh, really impressed this weekend. Um, and again, there's a f- kind of a full rundown um, on the premium board for folks who want to read it. Sean, you want to go give anybody kind of a recap of, of Jaron Stevens's overall game and how he, you know, how he projects on the next level? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as Sherelle was saying, super talented and, and 
you know, at, at that size and that age can already, can already do, do a lot, um, you know, from, from handling a little bit of shooting, um, but just more the way he moves at that size, I think, um, you know, definitely bodes well, uh, you know, and really that 2024 class locally uh, is, is extremely strong. So once again, you're talking about a class that UNC had already really started to focus on, um, you know, probably maybe earlier than in years past. Um, and, and with that local talent, you know, having that, that that run that they did I think only only bodes well for what you know what they can potentially reel in um but real quick I'd love to go back um and I know I think he got hurt a little bit but um in terms of uh Simeon Wiltshire and and mm -hmm. any of the games you watched of him Sorrell because again that's just been uh you know high school and and watching live streams or or you know delayed tapes things of that nature but you know, how tall is he and, and what did he look like in person? Yeah. So I, I would go to that, but I, I wanted, you made a good point about the local talent. That's the other thing. I think the big takeaway, there are so many good players in 2023 and 2024. Um, and even starting in 2025 in the North Carolina area. So Paul McNeil plays for Adidas, a shooting guard from Lumberton. You've got Jaron Stevenson from Pittsburgh. You got Drake Powell from Pittsburgh. You got Cam Scott from down in Lexington, right outside of Columbia. Uh, you got Gigi, obviously, down in Columbia. I mean, that's a, a ton of guys. Then you, you have uh, Isaiah Evans in Charlotte, who's another top 25 type kid. Um, so there's just a ton of talent, especially on the wings in 2023 and 2024 in North Carolina, South Carolina, the Carolina's um, recruiting footprint area. Um, as far as Wiltshire, so he only played, he played one game, and that was the first game of the weekend um ankle injuries in carolina this week have been rough. <laughs> um so uh, about it was probably about a minute and change left in the second uh quarter so eybl plays four quarters um it's funny the 16s play halves the 17s play quarters but um it was at the end of the second quarter just before halftime he turned his ankle and it, lo it looked pretty bad he was limping um i was like well it isn't like he's gonna be able to play anymore and he kind of worked on it and um, got some treatment on the sideline and came back in and he hadn't played, he hadn't played well in the first half at all. I think he might've had two points, but he had a few turnovers where he was just driving into the middle of the paint and just with nowhere to go. And then it's like a flip switched um, sometime in the middle of the third into the fourth quarter. And basically he was still playing off ball, but they would put him in pick and rolls and get him in isolation situations. And man, the dude was just hard to keep out of the paint. I mean, it was like, it was like ferocious, angry driving into the lane. And he's got such quickness um, off that first step and, and speed that the defenders just couldn't stay in front of him. And he did that probably on five or six straight possessions where he would just come off of uh, a pick and roll. He'd get the ball at the top of the key. You know, he would go isolation and he'd be at the rim, you know, half a second or a, a second later. Um, so really impressive from him. Uh, a couple of he had a couple, of, you know, pull up jump shots that I thought were good. Uh, so he, he, he looks the part and I, he's, he's legit six, four, you know, maybe even pushing six, five, but he's, his height is not exaggerated. So um, I think defensively, he's going to, he's going to be a guy who likes to take on the challenge of, of guarding the opposing team's best wing too. I mean, and if we've seen anything that when North Carolina, and, and again, this was in an old system, but uh, you saw it some with RJ and with Caleb Love this year, when North Carolina has a guard that you can't keep out of the paint, good things happen. Right. Uh, I feel like that's kind of a I feel like that's kind of a true statement for just about anywhere. All you right. Start think, 
you start thinking about him and Trimble together. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they both are going to have to improve as shooters, but if they just show, if they just show a little bit of shooting ability, it's going to be rough for, for opposing defenses because you know, both of those guys, Trimble's is more first step in athleticism. And I think Wilters is more kind of quickness, mm-hmm. but either way there, there is difficult to stay in front of them. Absolutely. Um, okay. I appreciate you guys giving those notes. Uh, I want to kind of circle back to a lot of the stuff that, you know, that I see has been hearing some of the questions folks have uh, in the chat here. Um, while we're here, shout out to the uh, 307 of you that are now watching. Uh, again, blows my mind that we decided to do this like within an hour of the show and 307 of you, uh, of you awesome folks decided to spend some time with us tonight. So we hope you're enjoying it. Uh, if you are subscribing uh, to, or if you haven't subscribed to this YouTube channel, bang that subscribe button. Uh, for folks, those folks of you who are not watching it on YouTube live and are listening uh, via podcast, wherever you get your podcast, make sure you subscribe, rate, review us, all that good stuff. It really helps. Um, I'm not just saying that I, I don't get paid to say that. Like, I'm just letting you know that when you leave good reviews, it helps. Um, all right, boys, I'm going to hit some questions from, um, and I'm going to kind of go all over the place. Uh, I'm going to hit some questions from our chat and I, I want you to try to answer them as best you can. Uh, Sean, I think one of the big things that folks saw in that, NCAA tournament run was kind of a little bit of an emergence of Puff Johnson in a lot of different ways. Not only did we see him become reliable uh, as a guy that can give you spot minutes, but especially in the, in the final four, I mean, kid had, uh, you know, kid had some really big buckets, some timely buckets, some amazing defense, uh, played some great defense in that game against UCLA uh, when UNC was in some foul trouble. When you're trying to project him for next year, one, how do you feel like or what are some things you feel like he needs to to improve upon? And two, how do you feel like he fits into the mix next year? You know, with what you know, what uncertainty we have around the roster right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, once again, last year for him was you know, you know, pretty much a, a red shirt of of sorts, even early early in the year. And it, it, the question was, is he ever going to get healthy? All of a sudden, he gets in in a game and you know starts producing uh, little by little and, you know, at NC state, um, you know, and, and some other games where he was hitting, you know, hitting big shots. I think in the, in the Kansas game, when Leakey picked up his fourth foul, uh, you know, in, in my head, I said, well, you know, here comes Puff and, and he'll provide, you know, a little bit better of an off, you know, option offensively. And sure enough, you know, when Kansas went on their massive run and had all the momentum, Puff was the one keeping UNC, in the game, um, you know, in terms of his development, I think he can kind of make that, you know, not similar to RJ and Caleb because he didn't play as much as they did as, as freshmen, but he can kind of make that almost first to second year year jump. Because I think, you know, once again, what happens with the players that are staying or the transfer portal, there should be that increased opportunity for him. Um, and I think he does, you know, he shoots the ball well. Uh, he showed he could, he could finish, he could play defense, he can, he can get some offensive rebounds. So there's a lot to like of what he brings. And I think he brings a toughness that maybe wasn't expected um, out of him because he saw, you know, his, his three-point shooting ability coming out of high school and, and kind of how, how kind of skinny he was. But I think there's definitely a toughness to him. Um, so once again, I think a lot depends on, the makeup of the roster of who stays, who comes in. But I think regardless of what happens, he has demonstrated that he is, even if it's not a starting spot, that he is deserving of quality playing time and that he'll be kind of a, 
I think we talked about the five guys this year, but I think however many it is next year, you know, he'll be, he'll be one of those players, which is exciting to, to see that improvement. And Sherell, I'm assuming Puff still has three years remaining, right? Correct. Okay. Last year sure. was last year was his freshman year. Yep. Essentially he's still a freshman this year and then okay. he's got three more. Yep. All right. Um, Hey, one of the things that a lot of folks have asked, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to speculate who is or is not going to hit the, the portal. I think a lot of that will become clear uh, in the next, you know, remainder of the week as North Carolina wraps up their their player meetings. Um, Sherelle, do you think the Tar Heels will try, assuming, you know, if they were to have a scholarship open, uh, do you think they're a good place with a, with a couple of potential transfers? And if so, what type of player might they look for? Uh, yes, it's, it's difficult to answer because what type of player they might look for kind of depends on who leaves. Who leaves. Stays and, yeah, and that's my that. bad. But, but, but no, I mean, to your point, yes, if they have a scholarship, they're going to fill it in the transfer portal. I think Hubert Davis has made that clear. If you look at his quotes from his radio show last night, he talks about the transfer transfer portal. And then if you um, just look at last year, uh, he used it immediately to, to get, um, three really good players, I think, or, you know, good players to come to UNC. Uh, and I think it's going to be a part of uh, how they roster build moving forward. It kind of has to be just because of the way college basketball works. Now you have to be active. You have to be looking around. So it's not a situation yet where they are, you know, I think actively talking to anyone because right now they don't have the scholarships, mm -hmm. but were it to happen where they got down to, you know, 12 for next year, then certainly they would look to fill it. And I think, um, you know, Hubert Davis puts a premium on a couple of things. And I think uh, passion is one of them. Um, I, I think fit will, will be a huge deal. Uh, we saw with Brady Manick just how important fit can be and how much it can elevate the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. I think shooting is going to be important, whatever position you are. I think you need to be able to, to show yourself as a competent shooter. And then I think he's put an emphasis on defense. You have to buy in defensively. So the players, no matter what position they are, will kind of have to meet uh, that criteria, I would say, to be able to, uh, you know, peak Hubert Davis in his staff's interest. How well, about – oh, Go ahead, Sean. If, you, if I could just jump in. You know, I think one, one thing, obviously, it's, it has to be so difficult to try to juggle everything in terms of being on the potential – potential portal um, as well as who's coming back. But I think, you know, from last year, there was a three. Um, but I, I think once again, from a, a fit perspective, and we talked about it beforehand, so it's, it's not like we're just looking at this as revision as history, but you basically had three, three starters for two spots uh, with Garcia, Manic, and, and Baycott with two of them being additions versus, you know, if that third, you know, third edition had been somebody that was ready, which I thought McCoy could have been, um, obviously mm -hmm. wasn't ready this year, but if that could have been more of a, you know, seven to 10 minute guy comfortable in that role, I think, um, would have been the ideal fit. So I think, um, once again, it's just trying to figure out the fit as you, as you go. Um, but hopefully not potentially overload, you know, positions. Um, and that's probably something they, they learned this year because once again, it, it took uh, Garcia leaving for Manic to, you know, kind of come into his own with the additional, with the additional playing time. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that, Sean. I think it's a, uh, it is a bit of a, a moving target for these guys. Cheryl, I want to ask specifically, a lot of folks are asking about Jalen Washington next year. 
I know UNC's typically been very cautious when bringing players back from injury. What do you think is a realistic minute projection for him based on what we know right now? I'm not asking you to look into the future, but based on where he is right now, do you think you know, is, is the expectation that, that he will probably work nicely into the rotation or is it just too early to say? Yeah, I think it's too early to say, uh, you know, he, he's missed, he's missed an entire year, mm-hmm. um, his high school season. And then uh, two and a half, three years ago, he missed most of the year with an injury. So I think he still has to just, his main thing right now is getting healthy and getting used to playing basketball again, getting used to shooting. Uh, we actually talked to one of his AAU coaches over the weekend, and he was just telling us how, um, it, it seems like everything is actually fixed this time. And he seems to be in a good spot to doing work. Uh, I think we posted a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, video of him shooting, you know, in the gym and just, you know, back, you know, playing basketball. Uh, yeah. but I think any, any minutes projection or anything, I, I think it's just a little too early because to your point, UNC, and if I'm wrong, y'all can come back and, and get on me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they're, they're going to be like, Hey, no, no summer pickup for you, you know, no, no practice or anything. We'll see you when we start practice at the end of September and we'll, we'll see if you're a full go then. Um, so he's not going to really do any kind of real quote unquote basketball stuff at full go. I would imagine until late September. Um, so it's just a matter of how he responds then. Um, but you know, the opportunity I think will be there because he does have the skills that Hebert Davis has looked for. He recalled him the best shooting big man in high school basketball. Uh, and so when you're that, there's going to be a chance for you to get on the floor if you can show you're healthy. I'm not trying to dodge the question, but I it's think okay. there's just too many variables that are unknown at this point At this point, to say whether or not he's 10 minutes a game or five or 15. Well, and that's a little bit of a gotcha question, too, because I'm asking you to read a crystal ball, but not use the crystal ball. Um, <laughs> right. But I, I appreciate how, how eloquently you uh, you threaded that needle there. Sean, for for a team like North Carolina next year, um, if indeed, and, and there are rumors out there that Leaky Black is going to return, what does this North Carolina team look like if you have an opportunity to play uh, two guys who can be really good defenders in Leaky Black and Puff Johnson at the same time? Because I don't think those guys were on the floor together very often. I think we saw it in brief instances in the postseason. But explain what that does for North Carolina's abilities on defense next year to have two guys like that who can absolutely slow down other team scores. Well, I mean, it brings two guys with with size and, once again, the ability to guard different positions. I mean, we saw Leakey pretty much go one through four um, in certain circumstances, and I think Puff can can go two through four um, pretty pretty easily just with the with the size. So, you know, I think um, once again, in terms of is Puff playing the four, or Leakey playing the four, and one of them playing the three, um, you know, that could be a realistic option um but i mean i look i think having you know guys that can that can guard a variety of positions is what hubert was was looking for um as well as especially with puff the ability to stretch the defense you know kind of a a natural shooter and and leaky you know that will be a continued thing to improve um in addition to his ability to you know cut or or you know find find baskets off the, off the dribble. Um, Sherelle, I, I have said this a couple of times in passing this year. Has there been a bigger crime for North Carolina fans, except maybe the Chris Jenkins shot, but has there been a bigger crime committed against North Carolina fans than only allowing them to see one year Brady Manic in a Tar Heel <laughs> uniform? 
Yeah, it, that's rough, man. I mean, it's, it's Bob McAdoo, it's Cam Johnson, it's Brady Manning. <laughs> the three best transfers in Carolina history. And I, I don't think how anyone could have any kind of argument against that. You know, maybe Wes Miller, but that was that kind of, you know, kind of a different deal. But um, yeah, I mean, just, a, I mean, it was just as if, you know, Hubert said, Lord, please let me get the perfect stretch for that can do every single thing I want in this new offense. And he was like, okay, go to Oklahoma. And lo and behold, you know, there's Brady Manick who, only reason he really, I think, was available is because Long Cougar decided to retire and go hang out with his son. And then uh, the coach from Lower Chicago, uh, Moser, put it in a different system. And man, it's like, well, I got this year. Let's let's just YOLO. And I'm gonna go to Carolina. And you know, I don't know if either of the parties really understood what they would mean to each other um, at this time last year. But what a phenomenal ride! And it's just, it is so frustrating because he, I mean, he was just ready made, perfect like just came off the assembly line is the perfect thing to compliment Armando Baycott this year. And I, you talked about how in, endearing this team is to fans. I think he's a big part of it too, because yeah. he, he came, he came, he had no experience with anything North Carolina other than like, Oh, that's where Michael Jordan went to school, you know, that kind of thing. And within months you could tell that he was a hundred percent bought in and that he understood kind of um, the weight that you carry when you play for UNC and he understood the gravity of, of being in the Smith center and all that stuff that a lot of people maybe don't understand or take for granted. He got it. It seems like instantly. And it really came through on the court. But I think more for him. Sorry. I just okay, go ahead. had to jump in on, on Brady. Um, Cause we're not going to get to talk about him too much, <laughs> too much longer, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I think, as Charles said, he didn't have any ties or attachment, but at the same time, kind of being that fresh, experienced veteran, um, you know, I think is a huge reason why UNC was able to to get it together. Um, you know, obviously, it was public in terms of that the interview he had early in the year after after the game of, you know, this is you know this is what I came here to to do. But you could also see, you know, at that beginning of the year, he was the one we were talking about. Hey, the ball's moving. You know, he's seen things before it happens. And he, even though he wasn't shooting the balls as well, you always thought it was going to go in anytime it left his hand. And then, you know, you started to see kind of his joy increase on the court as the team started to gel together. And I think just him leading by example. And once again, this is all, you know, just my <laughs> opinion from the outside looking in. But I think his play on the court helped others realize, you know, how to play a proper team basketball and how to trust each other. And I think without that veteran and kind of steady presence, I don't know if we would have been able to, you know, see what we, what we did. And I just, you know, I know he got knocked, knocked hard twice in the championship game. And I just wish he had been able to, you know, get a, get a few more shots in that game. Uh, Cause I mean, you know, when he hit those, two threes in the first half and even that, that tip in to go up one, you know, that's probably the one, one regret I have was just wishing he had gotten more shots, but at the same time, you know, nobody's ever going to forget what he contributed to, to this team at a time of need. It was uh go ahead. He only had like eight shots, right. In the championship game. Yep. Yeah. yeah I, eight, I, think. I had, man, I had the whole scenario in my head where they're up one after the dunk and, you know, I was like, okay, they're going to miss. 
Carolina's going to get the rebound. I was like, they missed. And I thought Carolina's going to get the rebound. I was like, somebody's going to come down the court and hit a three. They're going to be up four. Then Kansas is going to come down the court, miss a three. They're going to get the rebound and, and celebration time. And it was just like, if you listen to Hubert Davis's radio show, um, he was like, that ball has bounced to us every single time. That offensive this rebound. This entire season. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, he was like, they were, it was inches. He was like, it was just inches away um, from, from Brady. And, you know, at, I don't know. I just to me as a lasting memory, you know, him putting up UNC one, uh, UNC up by one with a thunderous dunk. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, the kid was just perfect. I, I mean, I, I think, I think we shouldn't take it for granted because I, I don't know if you'll ever find that perfect of a fit that grows with the team as, as the season goes along, maybe ever again. No. And we talk, and, and, you know, I remember sitting here saying after the Tennessee game, when, you know, you and Sean both talked about, you know, Brady calling the team out and Cheryl, I think it was you that said, you know, the most Carolina player on the roster at the time was Brady Manick, was a kid who had zero experience with North Carolina basketball. Um, but man, it just, it, it was, it was really, it was really heartwarming to watch his growth and to see what he was able to do. I mean, there were times during the tournament where he showed some athleticism that I don't think he knew he was capable of. I mean, just, you know, banging on people's heads and, you know, rim running and all kinds of stuff that just uh, you get loose, Brady, do what you got to do. <laughs> Yeah, and, and props to Hubert Davis because that's not the same player that was at Oklahoma the last couple of years. Like, no. I don't care what anyone says. He looked different. He was doing different things. Uh, I, I, he was just a better player this year than he, what, what he was. And maybe you expect that in year five, but uh, I think Hubert Davis and staff should be giving some credit for it too. Yeah, and I, th I think I think to a man, Brady Manick would say the same thing. I think he would say just something happened that freed him here. Um, but, hey, let Prairie Bird fly, yo. Um <laughs> All right, uh, a couple more questions and we'll get out of here. Shout out to everybody, the 300 folks who are still in the chat with us. Um, Shrill, is there anything that we can really talk about that's, that, hasn't been, uh, that hasn't been mentioned in the thread on the premium board that you want to kind of uh, note or adjust? Recruiting-wise? Just about next year and, and the off-season stuff. Um, no, I, I think we talked about NIL and how that is going to, uh, I frankly, help programs like North Carolina. We, we talked about that. Um, and, I, you know, we're just awaiting decisions. And I think from there, we'll see if North Carolina has a scholarship for the portal. If not, you know, North Carolina is going to be in the national basketball consciousness next year. Um, I, I think it's safe to say. Um, and that is a far cry from, again, like you said, Joey, where we were in February when the question was, is North Carolina irrelevant nationally? And they are no longer irrelevant. Um, I, Sean, gets on, a Sean gets a pass on this one because you and I did the post game <laughs> yeah. after the pit game. Yeah. Where you oh, we, you we and I both in. said you and I both yeah. said well it doesn't matter if they get in the tournament because they're not going anywhere yeah. so Sh Sean they're, you actually get to skate on that they're not doing anything of consequence some person said um, after that Pittsburgh <laughs> game so whoever that is that person's an idiot um, what a moron but yeah just over like just over the weekend like I said just in talking to you know recruits and stuff every single one of them that we talked to mentioned uh, UNC's run now a couple of them we asked but a couple of them brought it up on their own it's like oh man. Uh, one kid was like, oh, man, if Armando doesn't get hurt, they're national champions, 100%. And I was rooting for them. And then uh, there was another kid was like, yeah, I watched the run. You know, they went all the way to the championship. It was like, they beat Duke, so it's all good, what, just what one guy said. Um, so it was it was really interesting because that hasn't been there in a few years, that excitement about UNC. Um, so, yeah, that was that was interesting. And I think the program just has a lot of momentum moving forward. Yeah, and, and do you feel still feel like things are on the accelerated time scale where or time schedule where 
once folks start either, you know, making their decisions public that UNC will still move quickly, like like you assumed a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, there, there are decisions are already made by some people. They just haven't been announced. And that was kind of how we phrased it in our offseason thing is like, yeah, we might not know exactly what's going to happen by, you know, Thursday or Friday, but UNC will have a pretty firm grasp by what's going to happen or, or what's going to happen by, you know, Wednesday or Thursday. And I think for us, what we can do is track and see, do they contact someone in the portal? Because if they do, then that kind of tells us what they're thinking, that they're going to have a scholarship, which means that they would have to lose three people. So that's kind of how we look at it. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, even if they aren't public, things are moving quickly because there are already some decisions that have been made. And so, and last question, and we'll, uh, we'll wrap the show. Refresh, based on what UNC has right now, they would have to have some folks leave the program in order for, you know, what, three, you would have to have for all of the eligible players to return who, who could return to return, you would have to have uh, some folks leave the program, correct? Yes. So just real quick refresher. So NCAA allows 13 scholarships for men's basketball. If everyone who has some form of eligibility returns to UNC, they would have 15 players and the freshmen, they would have 15 players on scholarship. So to get to the max, they have to have two people leave no matter what to get to 13. And then if they want to sign anyone in the portal or uh, sign a decommitment or someone who's let out of their national letter of intent, they would have to lose three people. So they had to get down to 12. So to be full at max, they need to lose. They have to lose two to be able to sign an additional player. They have to lose three. All right. There's your synopsis, folks. For those of you in the chat who have followed with us uh, again, 312 of you. That is so huge. I appreciate you guys uh, showing up. Um, please understand, you know, whatever Inside Carolina staff knows will be on the Inside Carolina premium message boards as soon as we know it and can confirm it. Um, so just hang tight. You know, there are all kinds of rumors swirling out there, but uh, I think Sherelle and, and Ben and everybody have been kind of on top of this thing and have been very forthcoming uh, when they had things that they could vet and confirm. So stick around. Uh, you know, we appreciate you guys and engaging with us and asking these questions. So hopefully that helps. Uh, Sean, I always give you your chance for two pennies before we get out of here, man. What are your what are your two cents that we didn't touch on on this show? And I know we tried to cover man. We tried to cover half the continent in, in just over 60 minutes. Um, I mean, one guy we didn't really talk about at all was RJ Davis. And, you know, I think just the growth that he had this year and, and how well he shot the ball as well as kind of turning into that, that point guard, um, you know, kind of the EYBL RJ that we, uh, talked about so much during the, the long COVID summer. Um, and then two, you know, you know, as I said at the beginning, really wish, you know, as Sherelle said, we got that offensive rebound and had that banner <laughs> and had that celebration. But I think, you know, going back, whether they, you know, nationally ir irrelevant, no excitement, things of that nature, you know, we were looking at doomsday scenario of them getting bounced <laughs> early, maybe some players leave next year's a rebuild year. Then there's a lot of pressure on that third year for Hubert Davis. But I think, you know, all that was was changed in, in a matter of a month. Um, and there's genuine excitement, you know, from the fans, the players, the coaches, the, you know, recruits, everything. So, you know, can't get the, the banner, but it was a tremendous and that keyword remarkable run that we got to watch. Yeah. Uh, and, and 
I mean, you were talking about hanging the banner stuff, and I'm also wondering now, I mean, is this team one of those teams that doesn't need a banner? You know, are, are they are they who they are without the banner? And I think that 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 might be part of their story is they were that stinking good when it mattered and just came up just short. Cheryl, anything else you want to add before we uh, before we put a bow on this? I never do this, but I told y'all they were talented. No, nah, man. <laughs> hey, you know what? Good on you. Because, I, no, I, I you never said, do that, but I had to get that in there. <laughs> look, you said you said that at the beginning of the year. And and a lot of a lot of the other staff that I see have have hearkened to it and said, you know, Sherell was pretty dogged about how talented they were. And and you know what, man, whether it's a, a blind hog finding an acorn or a one legged man winning an ass kicking contest, the propers are all yours, sir. So good on you for good on you for pulling this out and, and being correct on your assessment earlier in the year. Uh, if nothing else, you have all of the credits that you deserve, and I'm sure there will be more coming your way. Um, you're right, man. No, that's, it's, that was a good call. You were, you're pretty adamant that they were talented and who knows? I do think it's, it's odd that this team went from unranked to finishing the final AP polls. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever been done before, but that's, that's absolutely absurd. Somebody's going to look in 20 years and like, Oh, they finished number two that year. Okay, cool. And just have no, <laughs> just have no context about how that happened. Zero idea of how the, yeah. how the, the, the sauce was made. Right. right guys i really appreciate it um thank you to everybody who is in the chat and and rode with us tonight all 300 of you you guys have been rock stars we may do this live in the future who knows but again as news breaks over the next couple of days if you're not a premium subscriber go be a premium subscriber for the love of god if there's ever been a time to subscribe to get behind the scenes stuff and news before anybody else has it because i'll be honest a lot of other people are getting their news from ic i don't mind saying that um so go Subscribe to Inside Carolina. Be the premium subscriber. Get your extra 10% at Johnny T-shirt. We appreciate you guys being a part of the show, the live folks in the chat. Those of you who are listening to us on your normal uh, podcast or viewing us on YouTube later on, we're thankful you're here. Remember, subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Sean, Sherelle, man, you guys are always the class of the league. I appreciate you. And we will talk to everybody sometime down the road. This has been the Coast to Coast Podcast on InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell. Late. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.